0: morning. Great to see everybody as Seth so graciously, graciously again introduced me and did be welcoming. Uh, my name is uh, Ben Thickpen, deacon here, Cottonwood Community Church. I'm um, going to go into finishing up what our summer series is, like he said, of Acts. Uh, today we'll be focusing on Acts 9. Um, let's go ahead and say a word of, word of prayer um, as, as we get into this. Heavenly Father, Uh, we just thank you so much for the time that you have given us on this earth to live out the life that you would lead. We thank you for this time that we have at this church to be able to sit and listen to your word, to worship you, to praise you all as one congregation, one voice lifted up, Lord to be able to be together, uh, like-minded people, those that love you and come together and praise you for all that you've done in every single one of our our lives. Lord, I pray uh, for today the message that you would speak clearly through me, that you would use my words to open eyes, that I would not be a distraction from what you would want to say in this house today, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, Acts chapter 9, but actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus more on goats. That's what we're going to talk about today are goats. And no, I'm not talking about those furry creatures that, that buck heads all the time. I'm talking more of a sports context. For those of you that enjoy sports, Goat. well, it's weird when I was growing up and back in the old days... GOAT was a negative term for some reason. If you had messed up a game or you blew it for the team, that's really mean to say, but if you screwed it up for the team, you were the GOAT. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you're now world famous, and you're the greatest of all time, the GOAT. And so today, within Scripture, I think we're going to be talking about the GOAT uh, as far as Christ church go, but I want to talk about today another GOAT that I feel like um, he is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and his name is Nolan Ryan. I grew up in Dallas, loving watching baseball, and this was the man that I loved to watch. He's known for having, once again, this is uh, maybe true, he's throwing a 108-mile-an-hour fastball. Is known to have thrown it that fast. Great change-up, great curveball, but the record that he's known for and they say that records are meant to be broken. I don't feel like this record's going to be broken, is how many no-hitters he had. Seven no-hitters through seven games where nobody hit the ball in, in play. He also had 12 one-hitters and 18 two-hitters. Pretty dominant pitcher. He, he led the entire league and of all time in strikeouts. He has like 5,700 strikeouts. Closest behind him was 4,800, and that pitcher's long-retired. And of active pitchers right now in the major leagues, there are the closest pitcher has 3,000 strikeouts, and that guy is 38 years old, so he's not going to be having him anymore, Justin Verlander. My only point is this guy, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time. And this kind of segues into what I'm going to be talking about within our church history. As one of the fathers of the church, Paul today, formerly known Saul, is in my opinion, and I think in a lot of uh, people's opinions, the greatest champion of the Church of Jesus Christ of all time. And so we're going to look at his beginning and his conversion. But first, let me kind of summarize what we've been talking about uh, for the past couple months in Acts. We've seen the Acts as the start and the beginning of the Church. It's been cool to look at the history of how the Holy Spirit has worked within these uh, faithful men's lives. We've seen the beginnings of the first things, the first, beginnings of the first, such as the first deacons, the first problems that have arose in the church. We've seen the change of these fearful men who, a hot second ago, were denying Christ, and now they're passionately speaking through the Holy Spirit and changing lives, changing multitudes. And so it's been cool to go back and look at what the Holy Spirit has done. So this is where Saul enters. Um, in chapter 7, we hear that he kind of standbys and, and approves um, the murder of Stephen. One of my questions was, as I was growing up, this idea. We always, as a Christ follower, I always heard that, that Paul was set up to be the one who would take the message to the Gentiles. And I always kind of wondered why that was. I understood he was a Roman, um, and that was beneficial for that. But it, I read R.C. Sproul's uh, commentary on Acts, and he kind of talks about uh, uh, Saul, Saul's beginning and I'll read it here so, so Paul was born according to tradition in the same year that Jesus was born he was born in Asia Minor in the city of Tarsus if anybody knew where Tarsus was before this picture I give it to you you, you, you are a man or woman of history um, but we see Tarsus is just north of Jerusalem north of the promised land I had no idea I knew he was called Saul of Tarsus but I didn't know where it was Paul being the name he used in Gentile circles. His father was a Roman citizen and a well-respected merchant. The fact that he was born a Roman citizen indicates that he had likely done something significant. Because Saul's father was a Roman citizen, he was born a free man and inherited that Roman citizenship from his father. Tarsus was was in the extreme southeastern tip of Asia Minor, close to Antioch, just a little bit north of Jerusalem. Tarsus was on the trade routes where all merchandise moved from Europe and Asia, south through the Middle East, down into Africa and back. In antiquity, Tarsus was one of the wealthiest cities in the region. Tarsus had, a lar- had the largest university in the world at the time, bigger than the universities in Athens and Alexandria. As a young lad, Saul learned the trade of making tents, which served him well throughout life. At the age of 13, because of The prowess and brilliance he had already displayed, he was sent away from Tarsus to Jerusalem to go to seminary, as it were, to study under the tutorship of the leading theologian in the world at the time, Gamaliel, which we were introduced to him in Acts chapter 5. Interesting. Saul studied under uh, Gamaliel for seven years and received what we would present day the equivalent of two PhDs in theology. It has been said that by the age of 21, Saul of Tarsus was the most educated Jew in Palestine. He had mastered the Old Testament and all the rabbinic interpretations, rabbinic interpretations of it. So this kind of sets up the picture on why Paul was perfect to go to the Gentiles. Not only was he studied up and a learned man within Jewish tradition, the rabbinic interpretations of, of the Old Testament, but he also was a Roman citizen, and that was, as described in these readings, like a passport to go into the other worlds without, without having some of the hang-ups a non-free man, a non-Roman citizen would have, and allowed him to travel freely from, st- from country to country, city to city as he'd go. As Roman influence spread around the world, he was allowed to go freely, setting him up as he would go on his different missions to freely move about. So, we saw in chapter 7, fast forward, Stephen is murdered. Uh, Saul is present for that murder. We see in the beginning of, uh, in chapter 8, we hear of him ravaging the church, breaking down doors, and throwing many into jail. Pat kind of talked about that last week. So, now to chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll work our way through. So in verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats, And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I don't know if you're like me, but I would love to have been a fly on that camel's back or that fly on a a cactus or tree sitting there and watching this play out. If you guys saw the storm a couple nights ago, it was quite a lightning display, and I sat on my driveway and kind of just peered up into the sky in amazement, just flash after flash after flash. Just moments in time of lights that would shine, that would light the whole sky, and then gone. And while I say that because the Greek, the way it describes it in here, is the same words to describe lightning is used here for when the light shone around him. So it was a consistent, brightness, intense light that showed around Saul. I found that fascinating. Obviously, God wanted to get Saul's attention. And then he goes on to say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, you, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So I found this interesting. Uh, Luke left out a part in this scene that is later captured when Paul is recounting his conversion when he's talking to the disciples later in Acts. Listen to the difference. In Acts twenty six fourteen. and when he had fallen to the ground... I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And when I was reading, I was like, hmm, what? Goads? So, meaning to find out more information, went and started researching what this goad was. So people back in the old days would plow with oxen. They would either do it in carts or they would actually have the plow right before and if the animal was not listening, a nice way to say it, they would use the go to, to motivate the animal to go. It was further disincentivizing the animal to react to that, thinking of, thinking, if you were poked in the back, what would your reaction be? It would be to kick back, and that spike, it was, a, it was a stick with a metal spike on the end of it, it was there to keep them from kicking back and potentially... Uh, destroying the carts or something so it worked in multiple ways so with that picture we see that Jesus is asking Paul Paul why are you resisting lordship over your life why are you resisting me and if there's anything that I do when I preach I preach my heart (laughs) and this struck me um, in a lot of ways I'm going to to ask some questions today as we go through here to see what God has for us through these scriptures. And and this first part was the question I asked myself, and I asked us as a church, are we allowing Christ to guide our lives, or are we fighting against the goads? For those that love Jesus and follow Christ, I would ask you, is there an area of your life that you're fighting against the goad, fighting against the Holy Spirit's working in your life. And if you haven't chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior, haven't chosen to put him at the throne of your life, what is holding you back? Fear of letting go, fear in general, fear of the unknown. When I was in college, um, and some of you may have heard this story before, but I went to the Air Force Academy. Um, I'm not going to get into it time reasons it can be a long story but I was selected to go to the air force academy a lifelong dream to go and I went and I did not do very well high school did not set me up well for for the academy and all the things that were being asked of me the level of academics I played football the military stuff All these things was was overwhelming to me. And I panicked. And my out, especially on the academic side, was the cheat. Um, And I cheated on some homework. And because the military, which is a great thing, is ultimately prideful on honor, um, they decided that I was to be removed from the academy for these uh, decisions that I made to cheat on some homework. That's not the purpose of this story. The purpose is what I did after that. I continued for eight years to defend my position and tell people that I was innocent in all that I did. I was not, God was working in my heart. I was not letting that go. I was working against the goads in that. And what is the consequence of that? It felt like I was banging my head on a wall. I tried to move forward in relationships with with the Lord. I tried to move forward in my walk with him. And it just, it was like a wall. And I could not break through it. And I wasn't willing to surrender that part of my life. Because you know, brothers and sisters, we must surrender every area of our life in order to live the lives that Jesus would have us lead. We have to open that up to Him. Now, there are these sayings sometimes that when you're in a church and as a follower of Christ, that sometimes it's hard to kind of comprehend or how do we apply this to the, in our lives, such as live on fire for Christ or surrender your life to Christ. And I think a lot of times we stop there without kind of saying what the meaning is. What does it mean to surrender your life to Christ? What does it mean to surrender an area of your life to Christ? And so, I just wrote out here how I understood it to be. We got to ask. We got to ask God to reveal those areas, reveal those things in our life that we need to give over to Him. Secondly, if we ask, we got to be ready for an answer. And if we don't like the answer, we got to be willing to move forward with it when God responds to those questions. We got to live life. As my wife so sweetly says all the time, we got to live life with open hands. We can't hold on to anything but Jesus. And that helps us change perspective um, in our lives, in the way that we uh, handle our lives, and the decisions that we make. But ultimately, I think when you filter it all out, surrendering your life to Christ, sur- surrendering an area of your life to Christ, is done by continuing to grow in deeper love of Jesus Christ. The more you love him, the less you're going to love those other things. And that, to me, is how you get in the right mind frame to surrender those areas that you're ashamed of. Eight years, eight years I lied. To my parents' face, to my brother's sister's face, But God is a good God, and he doesn't stop pursuing, and he forgives. He forgives us of those things, and I'm so thankful that we see Saul's life before, and he was putting people in prison. He hated Jesus, and he still chose him. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 10. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate or drank. I was always so amazed by this quick radical shift that Saul comes into obedience. Right before he's on his way to Damascus to serve to get that he got the papers to start arresting people and throw them in jail and he has this single encounter with Jesus himself and changes instantly. How awesome and radical of a shift. That is, I I likened it, and I I think I read this, but basically if Osama bin Laden became a, a staunch American patriot, he drove the big truck with the huge American flags flying behind, that kind of shift is what we're talking about. Just an amazing moment in Scripture. So when I realize the significance and craziness of what just happened, it shows us that when God speaks, we listen. We need to listen. Sometimes in Saul's choice, he doesn't have a choice. He listens. And so my question to you is, is God trying to get your attention? Have you ever had that moment to where you feel the, the Spirit's leaning in one way or another, kind of nudging? Or have you had one of those moments where like, it was in your face, absolute God trying to talk to you, you had no choice but to listen, kind of what Saul just encountered. I had one a few weeks ago. I was uh, going to play in a golf tournament, and I was able to get out of work early. So any excuse to get out of work early, right, you got to take it, especially when it's to go play golf. Um, and so I planned out my day. I was going to get to the course. I, I I didn't really know the people that i were playing with, so you know, you got to play well, so you got to get there like an hour early to warm up, plus they had Chick-fil-A sandwiches. So Um, two good things to show up early. So I'm motivated to get there. My flights all get done on time. I leave, and I'm driving down Airport Road going south, and I just passed the first light, and there's a a lady on the side of the road. It seemed like the car was broken down. Hood up, and she's sitting in there, and it's like 95 degrees out, and I pass by, and it's that whole tugging (laughs) feeling that you get. And ashamedly, I, as I hope I'm not alone in this, that we've all done it before, have just kind of ignored the tugging of the Spirit on my heart. And I continued. But here came that in-your-face moment. (laughs) Not quite as dramatic as Saul, but it was, I looked to my right, and I was approaching a train track. And I looked to my right, and here comes a train. (laughs) And it wasn't one of those, like, single... Car engines that was just going by, that I'll be able to sit there for 10 seconds and then go forward. It was, it looked like probably the longest train I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm like, I'm probably going to be sitting there for five or ten minutes waiting for this thing. And so, okay, Lord, (laughs) I'll listen and I'll turn. My point is, we need as church Christ followers to be sensitive to those times that Christ the Holy Spirit is speaking to us because we don't know what's on the other end of it. It was a great conversation. Lady was Maria. Uh, We're texting back and forth every once in a while. It was a lot of fun. But my only point is it it convicted me because I know there have been many times in my life to where I have not adhered to what the Spirit was telling me to do or nudging me to do. Um, And those are opportunities, opportunities that God gives us to affect change our ultimate purpose what is to go into the world and spread the good news and maybe he's moving you to that opportunity so don't be afraid it is scary it is inconvenient may not get to golf as well as I did I played terrible that day by the way but take those moments listen and I feel like if you start getting into those moments and you listen to the Holy Spirit and you're saying yes to those moments he's only going to ask more of you when you start to listen to what he has you do. All right. Third section. Verse 11 through 19. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to go bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Striking part of this, do you ever feel like yourself, like you're Ananias? I kind of chuckle when I think about it. God gave him, like, a specific address, a specific person, specifically what to do. I'm just like, God spoke to me, and he said... Ben, go to 1609 4th Avenue Northwest, East Grand Forks, Minnesota, or 56721. You're going to, to meet this lady named Lindsay Johnson, and you're going to place your hands on her and heal her. And then my, my response is, are you sure? <laughs> That's the kind of like, but you know, we do those things every day. I, do, I can't hold Ananias higher than I hold myself. I do those things every day. And what is God's response? In his graciousness, his loving, his loving correction, it's like when I say something for the fifth time to the kids, go, go, go. For he is ch- the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And in his graciousness, he still, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned a reason for why God wants to do something. But he still gives it to him um, an explanation. So focusing on verse 17, he laid his hands on him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight that is such a picture of what happens when you believe in Christ. I do believe, because of the Greek and the translation, that it was actually in this, in this instant, it's not every instant, but in this instant, it was a physical something that fell from his eyes. I don't know what it was. I don't think it's fish scales falling from his eyes. But something that could only be described as scales falling from his eyes. That's not the point. The point is, it's a great metaphor for what happens when we choose to follow Christ. Our eyes have been opened. And this reminds us of people's status apart from Jesus. When I was growing up, my dad, we would do some studies together. And to get this idea across to his young kids about the privilege that we have of knowing Christ and what has been done for us, how to frame that in a certain way to gain compassion for people who don't, to understand what those apart from Christ experience. And he always said that they see life, and it it was helping describe this, they see life through rose-colored lenses. They just look at life a different way. They are trapped by those rose-colored lenses, and they, and we have had the privilege of those rose-colored glasses being removed, our eyes open to what Christ has for us. So this was convicting for me to remind me, and I had to ask myself, how earnest in each day of my life am I seeking to save the lost? It's not on me. I'm not the one that changes hearts, but I need to be seeking people to have the kind of privilege, the opportunity that Christ has given me. He chose me to go forth and to have my eyes opened to see things more clearly. If I'm honest, things like COVID and life and, as Seth said, busyness of life, all those things are barriers to that happening in my life. And so when preparing for this, I had to step back and and think and pray, ask for God's forgiveness that this, I've lost this passion and to have that rekindled within my life. And I think I came to one big thing, one major thing to help me remember how I am to, Pursue others that are lost. And that is, what was given to me was a gift. We don't deserve what has freely been given to us. Brothers and sisters, how much of our salvation did we earn? 75% of it? 50% of it? 5% of it? 1% of it? Did we earn any of it? No. It's been freely given to us. I know I don't deserve it. I'm a broken man. And it was given to me as a free gift. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A free gift that has been given to us through the blood of Christ sacrificing for us that we may have our scales removed from our eyes to see the truth of life. We were chosen. And in that choosing, we need to understand and and make that, meditate on that thought day in and day out about how we were chosen. And that garnishes an appreciation and just makes it such a great relationship and an opportunity to then have that perspective to go out and to seek others that haven't been given that opportunity we've had our eyes opened to what god has for us in our life there are those within this world who would persecute us who come against those that love jesus and in matthew 544 but i say love your enemies love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, even from Christ himself directly, even those that would come against you. We need to have compassion. We need to find that compassion within us to go after those that are lost. And if we remember what we were given isn't ours, and we remember that it was freely given, that helps garner a compassion for those that haven't been given that opportunity yet. And what does he ask in return? It's a free gift. But he does ask one thing. He asks us that we go out and we tell others of this opportunity and this free gift. And it's a great way to come full circle on what we've talked about these past couple months. Straight from Jesus in Acts 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That is what we are to do as a church. That is what we are to do individually. It is to go out and seek the lost, to share this gift that has freely been given to us. So these have been seemingly random questions that have been asked, but I, I kind of laughed at how it all came together at the end. These are daily questions that I need to ask myself each and every day as I go out into the world. First question Are you willing, are you allowing Christ to guide your life, or are you fighting against the goads? Question two, is God trying to get your attention? And question three, how earnest are you seeking the lost? As we go into a start of another year, another year, school year, excuse me, as we go into another church kind of year, as, we, as kids' programs and all these things start up and we start going back out and doing these things, work gets really busy for me because the semester's starting to fire back up. These are the questions, church, that we need to be asking ourselves each and every day to ensure that we are living the life that Christ would have us lead. As uh, the worship team can come on up, I'll pray and we'll close out. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you paid the price on the cross to offer this free gift of salvation to us. And we pray that in that, that we just continue to have compassion for the loss, to understand what has been given to us, that was freely given to us, and want that so much for those that don't know you. Our friends, our families, our coworkers that we see every day, make it real in our lives that we would seek them out. But Lord, we we know it comes back, to seeking you out, to falling deeper in love with you so you can show us those areas of our lives that we need to focus on. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is alive and is active in our lives to show us these things on how to lead and pray that we would just be sensitive to him and where he have us go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.